Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hey guys, it's Brittany. Just a quick note before you listen to this week's episode. Eric and I actually recorded it at the beginning of February. So when you listen to it, we are going to make a lot of references to things that were relevant <laughs> at the beginning of February. We just didn't release them in the past month because we had some other work that was just a little bit more time sensitive. Uh, so please do not be confused at all when we reference the Super Bowl as something that is forthcoming um, or talk about formation like it just came out because to us in this episode, uh, it just did. So <laughs> we had a lot of fun making this episode and we hope that you guys enjoy it. And let's get started. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And we are... The Colored Nerds. The conversations that black people have... When white people aren't in the room. But we record them. And we put them on the internet. Share them with everybody. Yes. Put it out there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Right now, we are in the thick (laughs) of Black History Month. Yes. It feels good. Still feels good. Still feels good. Somebody Every caught, day. Somebody caught the Black History Month spirit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Who are you talking about? <laughs> Beyonce, Giselle, oh, yeah, yeah, Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She released the blackest music video of 2016. Of 2016 yeah. this far. Um, yeah, fair. I'm excited because at first when the Beyonce Coldplay video came out, which was Ooh. an embarrassment. Oh, yeah. God, that was an embarrassment. God, God, good people, man. It's, I have good people around just you. Because another, just because they, per- like, this is the thing. Just because the Stacey Dash of video directors in India tells you that what you're doing makes sense. Doesn't mean. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Yeah. And you got to, y'all, everybody got to know better. What was interesting, though, is that a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. Iman, who we talked about before on the show, she actually, because um, I saw the Coldplay video and I watched like 30 seconds of it. And I was like, first of all, the song was trash. And then I watched the video and I was like, this is embarrassing. Yeah. I'm like depressed. But then she showed me like five more music videos that had come out recently that were like, th- the, that were like. That bad or even uh, worse? Yeah, it's nice. Where I was just like, wait, how did I not like even? And like some of them were for really popular songs where I was just like, how, wh- what? Yeah, I mean, I'm I generally hate the destination. I'm a, like I'm this yeah. person. This video is interesting because I'm in a new like environment and yeah. look at all these like really cool people around me. Yeah. Like, isn't that neat? Aren't they awesome? Yeah, don't they dress so cool? Yeah, I'm just gonna dress like them, and that makes it great. Like, yeah, y- yeah I mean that that shit is real weak. Like Katy Perry does that a lot. Obviously, Katy Perry, Katie Perry does it all the time. Yeah, um, but yeah, like so you know to see like it made sense. Because it was a Coldplay video, real talk. Beyonce sometimes does do that shit herself, like and just in some of her in some of her other videos, not not as much with the cultural tourism, but in terms of like putting herself in something that already exists and like the two are very very similar. Like with her performances. Like it, be, wait, be specific, be specific. So, like the countdown video, like the fact that it's like a shot for shot remake of this other, like, thing. oh, the other, yeah, yeah, and, like, oh, yeah, yeah, she does that. Or even like the, um, what is it? She did the whole rich man's frug from, um, from like she, sweet charity, like that one video was it get me body was like, oh. but I mean, she usually does those things and says exactly where they come from. Yeah, again, I'm not saying it's like yeah. as bad as the Coldplay like, video, <laughs> but yeah. I'm just saying it wasn't as surprising. Like a lot of people weren't necessarily surprised that that happened the way it happened, and she yeah. said yes. Um, I mean, I, I don't put that shit past anybody. Yeah, it's 2016. I mean, at a certain level, come a certain level of money, you know, you probably say yes to a lot of things that you probably shouldn't say yes to. <laughs> I like wow, who, doing a song with Coldplay. 
had Doing Solid Coldplay in 2016 is one of those things where I'm like, who told you they were hot? Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells. It's Black History hmm. Month, and tell us how we got here. how we got here. So I take Black History Month really seriously. This year, I was like, I really want to read a really serious historical profile on somebody, and so I remember Melissa Harris Perry in a talk. I think it was the one that she did with. Michaela Angela Davis. I think somebody or Michaela Angela asked her who her favorite historical figure was or mm-hmm. favorite historical black one was. Um, and she said something about Ida B. Wells and how she just felt like Ida B. Wells was just like such a real person. Like she was not just an incredible human being, but also she was also just very human yeah. and like was a real person and dealt with regular person struggles and regular person bullshit. I want to say both she and I think also Ta-Nehisi Coates suggested Paula Giddings' A Sword Among Lions, mm-hmm. like the biography about Ida B. Wells. So, having recently discovered the Kindle app. Yes. So, I started reading it, and I will, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't, I haven't finished it because, you know, yeah. when you open the book in the Kindle, they're like, okay, like, you know, you turn the page, and they're like, you have three hours and 44 minutes left in this book, you know, if you just sat there and read it straight through. This one, I, like, I had to, like, rub my eyes and blink a lot because they were like, you have 23 hours Ooh. left. I was like, yeah. It's like, it's, the book you is. Yeah, in. But I'm, honestly, I love those types. I love those types of uh, of biographies, like Manning Marable biography of Malcolm X mm. is like that, and it is fucking excellent. Yeah, um, yeah. You they, learn just so you learn so much extra shit instead of getting like the kind of that condensed version you usually get. Yeah. So I started reading this book, and I got like through the prologue, and I was like, I think I start, this is such a whatever. I'm telling bougie black woman story. I don't care. <laughs> I was able to read it when I was getting my nails done <laughs> because I was getting shellac. Yeah. And so like I would have my one free hand like like turning the pages and Wait, that, shellac like. That's how my nails are still on. Like sh- shellac, you go. I know shellac. Like you shellac a. F- like no, floor. shellac is a type of manicure ah. where you can. This is probably. This is. I'm sure that the UV light lamp that they put on your nails in between coatings has to be carcinogenic. But <laughs> you know, yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I started crying mm-hmm. while I was sitting in the nail shop. I couldn't believe that this person had lived. Like, I, I was only, like, learning about a very tiny portion of yeah. her life. Like, one aspect You're of a very tiny portion n- of her life. Not even deep, in. No. And I was stunned by how incredible of a human being she was. And that I... is this? She's a black woman who existed maybe 120 years ago, 100, 120 years ago. And I knew very little about her life. Yeah. Like, I never learned about her in elementary, middle, high school. Yeah. Um, I knew that she was an anti-lynching person. I didn't know that she was a suffragist. I didn't uh, really have any understanding of. Even we talked last week a little bit about um, public intellectual. Yeah, you. Bro- yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I had um, no she clue. She definitely kind of was that. Yeah, like, not even kind of. She was that. She was that, and <laughs> yeah. she was an investigative journalist. And she was. I. I just didn't. She did so many different things in her lifetime. And. In, in the 1800s and early 1900s. And she was this black woman. And I don't feel like there's ever been a rush to make sure that I or anybody my age really knew a lot about her. Yeah. No, I mean, I would definitely agree. I think, I mean, so, and honestly, this is why I'm glad we're having this conversation. I mean, I just be just be honest. I told you, I didn't know that much about her. I'm from, I'm from Memphis. We'll get, like, deeper into her ties to Memphis probably later in the, mm-hmm. in the episode. But reading this, I'm like, how the, like, how the fuck have I never like never had a conversation about her yeah. uh, her contribution to the city. In addition to that, like I think I also just think in, in terms of Black History Month in general, like sometimes the like a lot of the criticisms for Black History Month is like all these great people are sometimes reduced to kind of like footnotes. You yeah. Know? I mean that happens with some people more than others. Usually be you know people of certain gender. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but she's definitely one of those people who it's like like her name is in the list. Yeah. But it doesn't go much like further beyond that. There's no. like a sentence or two description of her, and then it's like you know we kind of move on. Um, but we should talk. We should talk more about like her. Like we should go ahead and just kind of jump into it. Okay, so like Ida B. Wells is an incredible person. Yeah. But like, there's a couple things going on. So first of all, she was born technically into slavery. Yeah. And In, like 1862. 1862, and then two years later, she was like like she's freed in her early childhood. Yeah. And like neither one of us like starting to read about this stuff has illuminated how wild the Reconstruction period is. And I think before we even get into her, you got to kind of talk about her parents really, really quick. Yeah. Um. So the fascinating thing about Ida B. Wells was kind of like her 
commitment to education at that point or throughout her early life really kind of set her up for like her later activism and yeah. approach. That wouldn't have been able to happen if it weren't for like the profile I read kind of described it as lucky. Like there were a few different things that would allow you to, as a black person, uh, have access to kind of like a better life, right? Mm-hmm. So it was either if you were really favored by your master, mm-hmm. um, which is so fucking weird to use the word master in conversation. Yeah. But if you were favored by your master, if you were apprenticed for some sort of like skill trade, skill or trade, or if you were on loan, um, like to many different plantations. Yeah. And like her father, James Wells, I think it is, was basically all three of those things. He, you know, had a really good relationship with his master for the most part. Again, because his Weird. master was his father. Yeah. He was apprenticed at a young age in terms of being like a carpenter. Mm-hmm. In addition, like after he like got those skills, he was put out on loan to other plantations and, and places. So mm-hmm. he had a he had a ridiculous amount of freedom. Um, well, even in the the Giddings book, even in Sword Among Lions, they talk about how Holly Springs was a very peculiar place even yeah. to like be a slave. You think about slavery in Mississippi. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, if, even if you've seen like, and this is a fucking horrible. What? Analogy? Yeah. But no. Uh, Django. Like. Oh, I haven't seen. I, never, I, I, I mean. Yeah. I had no desire. Fine. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, but in terms of like getting an understanding, some sort of context for how like Mississippi was was the worst. Mississippi was right. like, some of the worst, the worst places. But could be. weirdly enough, Holly Springs was not as wild as it could have been yeah. or it was or as it was in other places nearby. Her father occupied all three of those like those uh, things that you talked about. Yeah. But like. That Holly Springs seems like it it was a place where that was kind of was possible. possible. I agree. I agree. For at least that's why I took from yeah. here. And so, like right after the end of slavery, you know, he was in this kind of prime position to have I wouldn't say a significant amount of power, but to be pretty well respected to the point where there was a, a, a high de- like a high commitment to education. You know, there mm-hmm. was something to point out like Ida B. Wells would, would read the newspaper to her father. That's significant if you think about probably like not like ten years before that learning how to read and being black was illegal yes uh so her having access to these parents and her mom being educated a little bit at rest college as well Mm -hmm. like her having access to these parents who were who had a focus and had a capability of being able to kind of push them quickly uh into the resources that they would need to be successful later in life was really really i think significant yeah especially as you get into what happened next it's like it was like weird. It was like this weird period of time where like slavery had technically ended, but like Jim Crow was not yet entrenched. Like, yeah. yeah, entrenched. And even being like being super valuable too. Like yeah. I mean, to the voting block. Like there was a passage where they were talking about how both uh, like Southern Democrats uh, and Republicans, and you know, like if you think about the party affiliation, it's kind of flipped right yeah, <laughs> as it yeah. was right now. But uh, we're both vying for the black vote because now you have this massive influx of citizens, uh, citizens, yeah, who you know had the ability to vote, and that could seriously put a, a like a dent or like really change and flip the makeup, if you will, of <laughs> the legislator. I mean, it's never really a good time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like I'd say 2016, what a time to be alive. Yeah. It's never been better than it is now. But and it was still terrible in many senses. But like I can't imagine a time in the history of black people in the United States where we went from having so little to relatively so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And so she was getting educated when her yellow fever struck the like Holly Springs. Killed a lot of people, specifically at least one of her siblings and both her parents. Yeah. And so the government in Holly Springs was like, all right, we're going to split your family up. And she was kind of like, nah. I think she was like 16 or something. And she was like, "Mm -mm, we're not going to do that. She was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to keep everybody together. Like she had one sister who was developmentally challenged and they were going to put her in in like a pauper's home, basically. Like an institution for abandoned children. and And just imagine even being told that. Yeah. So like, oh, your your sister, your sibling, yeah, who we're grown up with, we just yeah, she's just gonna go to this place, right? And then the rest of her siblings are gonna be split up between like other people's houses. And she was just like, nah. So she's already born into slavery, became freed in in her like younger childhood. Yeah. Like in this weird reconstruction period where she's getting a lot of education and she has kind of a decent amount of opportunity allowed to her, and then this thing wipes her family out and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna split everybody up." And she's like, "No, we're not." And, I mean, and that in it in itself is pretty revolutionary at the time. So like, like there weren't 
single parents how we know no. there to be single parents right now. No. And I mean, mind you, she's not a parent. She's just taking care of her siblings. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she got a job, was living in their house, like, by herself. And apparently, um, you know, people were like, what is she doing? People like, were mean about it. Yeah. They were like, why doesn't she have a man? Basically, like, why she doesn't have some man that's trying to take care of? Like, that's what's wrong but in addition to, you know, people were also be like, oh, well, she must have some secret white man. Yep, giving her money and stuff. Yeah, and like, that's some, I mean, that's some wild, that's some wild shit. That's some wild shit. This is all before she's like 20. Yeah. She moved from uh, Holly Springs to Memphis with her, with her siblings. She brought them there because at the time she could make more money teaching. Mm-hmm. And while she was in Memphis, she started like that's when she started actually like writing. And I found <laughs> she was writing apparently writing on like a pen name or something like that. Mm. But basically everybody found out that she was saying real shit in the paper. Uh, <laughs> and they Call were like folks to the carpet. Yeah, I like, see, uh you can't you can't teach no more. <laughs> yeah. Cause you ain't got no chill. And she was like, Okay, you know, I'm just gonna be basically a full time journalist. And she kind of committed herself to to being a journalist on issues of race. Yes. Um, which again at the, at the time, you know, being a black woman who mm-hmm. is a writer, yes, who's writing about issues of race. It's hard to do that <laughs> in 2016 yeah. with a degree with like a master's from like Columbia J School. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like I'd be able, I'd be also doing this in the late 1800s. Yeah. And, you know, eventually, like, I think she founded her own paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she founded her own paper. But as she started writing and kind of blowing up, this is all happening in Memphis. Again, we we never really, and maybe maybe this was just my school. Maybe this was just my, you know, yeah. my shitty education. I mean, I knew they weren't going to teach us about no, <laughs> no anti-Latin black women in Farmington Public Schools. <laughs> yeah, but it's. It's, like, fascinating. Apparently in the, like, main paper, now it's called the Commercial Appeal, but I think it was called the Memphis Appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there would be, like, editorials written about her, like, where they were, like, basically coming at her character, uh-huh. um, like, talking about her, like, riling up all this shit. And where shit really went down was basically three of her friends who ran a grocery store. Yep. Um, it was like across the street. It was like in, I think, like in like the, what they call it, the curve. Yeah, which is a very it's, almost it's like a very a, black neighborhood. Very name. yes, black. very black neighborhood <laughs> name. So they were in the curve. I think they're across the street from a white grocer. Yeah, and they were doing good business. And that's a problem because if I'm a white grocer, I don't want no black person getting money. Sounds All the money familiar. is mine. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, parallels. But <laughs> so yeah, so they. They basically uh, tried to like. They tried to fight them. Black folks like we ain't going. Yeah, we ain't going down like that. (laughs) I think they like shot back because they were shooting them or something like that. They ended up in jail and then they were dragged out in the middle of the night and lynched. And lynched. And obviously, it's like extremely like traumatizing situation to have three of your like of your friends Mm -hmm. not only treated in this manner but killed. Yeah. Uh, And this really like pushed her to. I mean, I guess the best word is like radicalism, but like the best kind, you know, yeah. like she really, really, really became like this, this loudspeaker for yeah. like why lynching was so terrible and really was just basically loud. This like loud black woman who was saying all this stuff about lynching and how basically Memphis was not safe. Yes. Well, this is the thing, though, before we even get to the next point, I also want to point out as a public intellectual, she did something totally impressive, which after her friends were lynched, she first came out and she was like, like many other persons who had read of lynching in the South, I had accepted the idea meant to be conveyed that although lynching was irregular and contrary to law and order, unreasoning anger over the terrible crime of rape led to lynching, that perhaps the brute deserved justice and the mob was justified in taking this life. So she's saying like, you know, maybe it was reasonable. Maybe it was justified because maybe this many people were running out here raping. But then when she saw them kill her friends, obviously there were escalating incidents yeah. that led to the lynching. But like, she's like, oh, y'all are just doing this shit just because we out here getting money. Yeah. You see that if kind of given at least some of the freedoms available to white people, yeah. even in the years immediately following slavery, like we have the capacity to amass wealth, own land, and to like form our own communities and not necessarily patronize your businesses. Basically, we're out here getting money and you feel like we're taking out of your pocket because you're in the black neighborhood and we don't want to necessarily buy from you. And so she was like, based upon this new information, I'm about to get real as fuck. No, there was actually a, another patch. This was in the... Um in the uh, in one of the speeches that you linked in the, mm-hmm. in the readings, she said the uh, the alleged menace of universal suffrage having been avoided by the absolute 
suppression of the Negro vote. So basically what she's saying is like, like, you said it was going to be a big-ass problem that all these black folks can now vote. Mm-hmm. You shut that shit down. You know what I'm saying? Y'all not really actually allowing us to vote. Yeah. You would think that this would have satisfied the urge for the butchery of Negroes. Okay. She was like, but men, women, and children are are, are the victims of murder by mobs. And just as they have been killed at the demands of this unwritten law. And all this was to prevent Negro domination. So basically mm-hmm. she was saying like, you're only doing this shit to keep us down. <laughs> yeah. You're really only actually doing this shit to keep us down. It's not about, like like you were saying, it's not about rape. Yeah. And through these speeches, she was like, yo, you need to move the fuck out of Memphis. Memphis is not safe for black people. It's kind of like Kanye. Uh, <laughs> George <laughs> yeah. Bush doesn't care yeah. about black folks. She basically said Memphis doesn't care about black folks. And 6,000, 6,000 6, black 000. people moved from Memphis as a result of that. You know, and that is, you want to talk about power. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, mind you, some of them probably also, you know, heard about black folks getting lynched. Yeah, and they were like, mm, I gotta go. But the fact that, you know, this woman was the the one to, like, really elevate this, because it's not like black folks weren't getting lynched before that. But to make, you know, to to bring urgency to that was really, 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 like, fascinating at this particular time. Like, that just wasn't, just wasn't happening like yeah. that. So, yeah, so, like, they moved, and then she realized, like, wow, I, you know, I can really make something happen mm-hmm. here. Um, and even going back to what you said, it was clear she was trying to actually understand what were the, like, list of reasons why we were actually being lynched. Yeah. That, it seems like, when she committed herself to study. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, this is where she really like picked up the title of like investigative journalism, which I think is really interesting. She well, she published a pamphlet cataloging all this research that she had done into the actual like the actual data about lynchings. And like people, you know, a lot of different people supported this work mm-hmm. um, and supported her in actually doing this work because it had just never really been done before. Mm-hmm. And that. Got me thinking. Got you thinking. <laughs> you know, if you think about, so like, this is lynchings at the time. This mm-hmm. is basically the extermination, extermination of black people, removal of of justice mm-hmm. uh, in terms for our death. Mm-hmm. That's something that you know have been. They're echoes. They're historical <laughs> echoes. Yeah, yeah, of that going on, you know, right now. And and her like her clear mission and call in terms of studying these particular things were to like to actually just shine a light on the data yeah like to say hey you know like everybody has these tropes of what we've been attributing this to but let's actually look at the data maybe that will shine some light on what's really actually going down yeah. and there are clear parallels with that going on right now in terms yeah. of police violence like we just we just haven't really been studying police violence in this country there was no data so you could easily say you know being a police officer is a dangerous job and uh you know you know these shootings i'm i'm sure police officers would not be shooting someone. somebody unless they were committing some sort of heinous crime yeah. it's like that's not the truth. Yeah, or even understanding how often officers were actually being punished as a result mm-hmm. of of these officer-involved shootings. Like, there was no data. And now that we're actually trying to compile this data, mm-hmm. uh, some trends are popping up. <laughs> some trends are popping up. That, you know, up. we might want to pay attention to. And even if you look at things like body cameras and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, which is why it's arguable as to their uh, utility in terms of actual prosecutions. Yeah. Um, that's still a step that wasn't really like uh, that wasn't really pushed for until after we really start shining a light on these situations and the data kind of behind. Hey, this is Jeff Lewis from Radio Andy. Live and uncensored, catch me talking with my friends about my latest obsessions, relationship issues, and bodily ailments. With that kind of drama that seems to follow me, you never know what's going to happen. You can listen to Jeff Lewis Live at home or anywhere you are. Download the SiriusXM app for over 425 channels of ad-free music, sports, entertainment, and more. Subscribe now and get three months free. Offer details apply. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. 
Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life. At capella.edu. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, the, the parallels with her are really, really interesting. So another thing that really stuck out to me, and, and you know, we talked about like how we talked about her anti-lynching work. She became powerful enough at a young age to get people to leave Memphis because yeah. it wasn't safe for them to live there. 6,000. 6,000 <laughs> black people, which is a gigantic number. Yeah. And then, like, you know, she continued to write and travel the country and even go overseas and talk about the importance of anti-lynching work. But something I didn't know about her until I started really learning more and reading more about her was that she was also a suffragist. Yeah. I, I had I had no idea how important her work was to just really how much she championed like women getting the right to vote. Now I knew that them girls, I knew them half as was racist. Yeah. Okay. Like Susan B. Anthony and all them girls. I knew they were racist. I, I knew that like to some degree that like that black women and white women worked together in the suffrage movement, which is also why I couldn't really get into that. I think there was like an HBO or some movie that came out. No, nah, it wasn't an HBO movie. It was a, I mean, it was a, it was a wide release. The suffragist. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. see it. Because I, yeah, I had no desire. Even the like the the promotion, you see the shit with like Meryl Streep and like a whole bunch of the other, other actresses. white women, yeah, yeah, and they were like, "I am a slave," yeah, or something like that. I was like, just like, they were in the t shirts, yeah, I was like, yeah. I was nah. like, this is not for me. Um, but yeah, I had no, I had no idea that Ida B. Wells was so entrenched in that effort, and it became apparent to me once I learned more about that that like obviously she like racism erased her from like the history of those conversations. So that was something I realized as I was learning more about her. But when I really, as I've been getting into the Giddings book, it's been blowing my mind how additionally, like I, I figured that Ida B. Wells' contributions were have, were downplayed just because of general sexism yeah. against black women by black men today. But what I did not realize was how, like it wasn't just a case of like black, other like her contemporaries were not standing up for her back in the day, but like people just actively erased her contributions from the record books back then. Like Carter G. Woodson, when he was starting Negro History Week, showed her children to presentation that he did mm-hmm. during Negro History Week. And he was talking about like anti-lynching movements and, you know, who was involved. And she was upset because he didn't mention her. Yeah. Like they were contemporaries, like they knew each other. They had yeah. worked to, like they knew each other. Like they were, I guess to put it colloquially, they were cool. And then he, you know what I mean? And yeah. then he did this presentation. It was like, these were all the, the important people that she was not mentioned. Yeah. I mean, even in terms of, uh, so she participated in the, I think it's the, the Niagara movement, which led like directly not to the creation of the NAACP. Yeah. And she was there and played an integral role in that. And they left her, you know, out of the original list of founders. Like she's widely credited with that now, but that wasn't how it was when yeah. the shit first came out. And she was like, yo, what's the deal? And he was like, oh, I thought you'd see what happened was I thought you didn't actually want to be involved, which she later didn't. <laughs> yeah, later she was like, y'all talk no action. I'm quitting this shit. I'm, yeah. I gotta go. Uh, you know, which people still make that same critique today. <laughs> but, um, but still, that 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 erasure, like you said, mm-hmm. like it has always kind of clearly been prevalent throughout her uh, throughout her work and her life, and yeah. even even now. One of the pieces that we read that was like is a good overview. I would say that would lead one to be curious about more of her stuff. Was like a it was like a Jezebel just write up about yeah. her life, and they called her the mother of intersectionality. And it like it makes me so 
we've had there have been conversations, and we don't necessarily need to rehash because we talked about it on the show before about Black women's erasure from even like the movements that are happening presently, and conversations that still need to be had about Black women's inclusion and safety yeah. in these movements now. And it's just wild. You we can see small ways in which erasure happens yeah. today, but like there is it's nothing new whatsoever because the same shit was happening to her back then even if you think about like feminists now like you know there's a lot of important black feminist work but that like doesn't always get credited as being feminist work or isn't seen as essential feminist um thought yeah that everybody needs to read or everybody needs to know about or isn't included in the canon and it's like this shit has been happening to black women for forever. And they, yeah, they refer to her as the mother of intersectionality. Like where you, she's one of the first, one of the, mo- like the largest political figures I could think of in the post-Reconstruction era who's, no matter how influential she was, because of her part, like specific identity as a black woman, it was like her contributions, they fell upon deaf ears, and, or rather not fell upon deaf ears, but her contributions were just like, it was like they could just be wiped away by yeah. white women or wiped away by black men. I mean, even I mean, even specifically to dig down on it, there was a kind of a huge thing, and this is actually probably referenced a couple times in, throughout the reading that we'll, we'll supply. Uh-huh. So, like, and, and this kind of doubles down on how, like, she approached intersectionality. So basically... In the initial, like, uh, suffragist or temperance, is that how you pronounce it? Well, temperance, I think, also with some other stuff, too. But, okay. yeah. But in the, in the initial, like, suffragist movement, initially, like, black women played a larger part in mm-hmm. this. Then black men got the right to vote. And white women were like, <laughs> peace. <laughs> yeah. And, and so basically, like, a few really prominent, not a few, a lot of really prominent white suffragists basically came out and were like, you'll give the black man the right to vote and basically called into question, like, uh, black people's yeah. moral character. They sit at the bar. Because temperance yeah. part of the temperance movement is, like, also, like, social conservatism yeah. and, like, you know, not having, you know, bars and all this kind of shit. She's like, black folks... All they want to know is where the liquor at. Yeah. It sounds real familiar, actually. All yeah. they do is hang out in bars and not do shit and blah, 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 and blah. And reproduce at, like, ridiculous Wild rates. rates. Yeah. yeah. So this woman, Frances Willard, she was, like, the head of the Christian American women's temperance movement or whatever. She and Ida was cool. And I want to say she had been, like, an abolitionist or something like that. Yeah. Too. I mean, she generally, like, you know, black folks was like, all right, she all right. She's okay. She's straight. Right. So then... She did this interview after black men got the right to vote. And she was like, can you believe these drunken, fucking lascivious brutes? Can you believe this shit? And Ida was like, nah, son. Okay, I see you. And she also went over to Britain, which again, the fact that anti-lynching and also suffragist work brought a black woman born into slavery out of the United States into Britain for an extended amount of time in the late 18, early 1900s, like, is wild as hell. Yeah. So she was over there. And she went over there just to to basically appeal, like, yo, America ain't got this shit together. Yeah, like, she can, was like, can, can y'all, y'all believe this? Them? And they were like, we hear what you're saying, but we can't believe that Frances Willard would say this. Like, they're like, this seems a little wild. So then, so she and Frances Willard were speaking at this event together. And this is a, like I read this and I was like, this woman is the shit. Yeah. Whoever was running the conversation was like, so uh, Ida B. Wells, what do you think about Frances Willard? So she, in response, this is the coldest shit ever done. In response, she just pulled out the interview. In my mind, I see her like doing an old school granny style, like reaching in her bra mm-hmm. and pulling out like some folded paper and then <laughs> a fold there <laughs> real quick. Like, let me tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> yeah. So she, this girl here. Yep. She reads the. She just reads the interview. So she read that out loud because she's trying to get people to be like, "Look, like, like she really said this. Y'all need to re- like reprint this over here so people can find out about what this woman and what she really about. So yeah. y'all can know that she's really not about shit." I wish I could do some shit like that. See, I got some receipts. Right. <laughs> like that. Like Ida B. Wells had receipts. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like she was so real and so then after that happened they they tried to come for her real they talk. tried to come for her real talk yeah. and so she came to frederick Douglass. Frederick, oh yeah he didn't really like he didn't support or as we like to say he cape. Didn't have oh <laughs> he also didn't have her back he didn't have her back That's right and saying. so like that to me that really hurt my feelings because yeah. i'm like okay i'd be like i know way more about frederick Douglass's life than i do about ida b wells frederick Douglass is somebody we talk about in school like it makes me sad that like 
she kind of needed his support and he was like, eh, you know, like, you know, I kind of still need these relationships with these yeah. white women. And he's cultivated. He had cultivated a lot. Well, just with white people in general. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. He was kind of like, eh, I still got my white audience. I can't really care for you on this. That's fucked up. But like, as it stands today, like I'd say most people have a much stronger understanding of like uh, Frederick Douglass's contributions to society than they do Ida B. Wells. And it's like, that's fucking sad. But like, that's the way the cookie was crumbling back then. I mean, I think in general, that whole situation is like, I mean, it goes back to a lot of the, like, it, you know, when we're talking about intersectionality, like it goes back to a lot of the issues, like you said, that are still going on today. You know, like they couldn't, like it was, it was impossible for white women to acknowledge the fact that like, like they had to immediately separate themselves yeah. as quote unquote they use the term just women but uh-huh. as white women from women of color or you know I was gonna say people of color but, but black, black women, women. They, you know at the time courting, courting southern cause all of these girls was up in New York yeah you know what I mean they started courting southern white women once they realized they were like oh we can't hang with these negro women we gotta cut them out yeah. and then go like talk to these southern white women about what brutes they all are yeah and I mean and those are divides that that really I mean if you if you look at it they persisted for shoot today to today <laughs> right like i mean i have not a ton of trust in white feminists i which i think is justified yeah and like like that's a conversation that like bell hooks was having you know what i'm saying 20 years ago and like 20 years before that there yeah. were black feminists in the 60s and 70s who were having these same conversations of just mistrust of white women and they were always like you know come join the movement come join the movement come join the movement and it's like yeah. Join like what do you, what do you mean join? Like yeah. what do you mean join? Like 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 come join the fight for women's rights? Like I am a woman. So I don't have a I still don't have a lot of trust for that. And I knew the roots for that from like the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, but I really didn't understand and even the 90s if you think about it. But I really didn't understand like how deep the shit really was and how like I mean, I'm not, I wasn't surprised, but how seriously Ida was getting it from all angles and just abandoned by the people she, she was always fighting for, but she never stopped. Yeah. So what this reminds me of a lot is kind of the situation that happened with uh, basically in the publishing industry recently. Uh-huh. So there was an article that came out by um, this white uh, writer. Her name was like Claire. Uh, oh, Claire Watkins. Claire Watkins. Claire Watkins. Uh, the, the, the type of the, the essay was on pandering. And so in it, she was talking about she finds herself, she really struggles because she finds herself writing uh, basically for the male gaze a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. like because she knows that white men carry a lot of power in the publishing industry and she finds herself writing, you know, to to kind of with the idea that they're going to read it Mm -hmm. um, and pandering to what would make them happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that there was a problem with that and also just a problem because white men run the publishing industry. Plot twist. <laughs> so after that, Marlon James, who's uh, another another really, really, really great writer, uh, uh, black man, he came out and was like, eh, you know, if you really look at that, like a lot of a lot of people of color, a lot of that is is kind of pandering, if you will, or has to be like we have to to yeah. kind of pander and like uh, kowtow, if you will, to the whims of white women because that's who actually like drives the sales in the publishing industry. So a lot of that is affected by that white female gaze. And that caused some issues. Like, so, yeah. This is deep. (laughs) So, you know, and basically after that, a lot of white women were like, well, no, we don't have, we don't have, you know, power. We aren't in the room. As much as we should be, you know, like this is something like basically we aren't the problem here. You, I mean, you can't see my face, but I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure, and sure. What it seemed like there was an inability to understand is that, like, to a certain point, yes, that's true. Yeah, you know, in terms of the absolute power within the publishing industry, it probably is very is very tightly controlled by by white men. But second to that. It is white women. And always. Be- always. Yes. And they are the overwhelming, like, like largest group and largest demographic of, of people who are actually purchasing, mm-hmm. like, large-scale books. So if you look at how people are making decisions and the books that actually are actually getting published, yeah. it's things that are going to, like— Please white women. To please white women. And 
again, that just it it kind of really shined like a huge light on the divide there. Uh, and it was, I mean, honestly, real talk, it was some like it made for like a, quite a few like really great days on Twitter. <laughs> I can't believe I missed it. Yeah, missed like Roxanne Gay went in like a couple times. Like, yeah. it, I mean, she didn't she didn't like have like you know this massive list of twists, but it was a, it wasn't a Kanye. Yeah, no, 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 no. But it was a lot of like emoji eyes, like mm, 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 mm. like <laughs> little Kermit sipping tea. Yeah, and uh, honestly, it was really it was really interesting. Like, and uh, there was actually some research right after that that showed that like in terms of the over like the workers in the publishing industry, it's actually like I want to say it's like sixty percent white women. Yeah. Uh, but it just shows like that, that like separation, like that constant separation, because there's no like consideration of like the, the, the kind of that hierarchy of privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and how that works within these various different industries. It's weird. It's like a lot of white women don't think that they're second in line, but they're always second in line. Yeah. They're always second in line and they don't see it and it just blows it blows my mind i mean it blows my mind like now in general but then to go back and to see that ida was dealing with the same shit where they're like they're pissed they're like well black men got the right to vote and it's like first of all girl barely second yeah. of all like we, we can't exercise that right to vote because we're getting lynched you can still barely exercise that right to vote and it's yeah. like 110 years later but then like also like white women's political identity and like the formation of that, because like I, I, now that I'm like now that we're talking about it more, and now that I'm like reading about it more, I've never I've never made a huge point to read about white women's political identity. <laughs> but Same. white women's political identity is the is like the it's the default from which mine is cast. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like and so like now I'm sort of thinking about it, and I'm like, well, maybe I should like I should read more into this. Um, but it seemed like say more about. The like say explain that concept. So you said as you said something that was really interesting. So you say white women's political identity, identity is, the is, is the default from which like my political identity is a lot of times only given context by like because of white women's political identity. There's the obvious thing where it's like okay like I never like we, women like me don't really ever get to see at the table as far as feminism as yeah. feminism is concerned. But like ideologically as far as feminism is concerned. But like when people talk about pay disparity like wage wage the income disparities they only talk about white women when yep. people say women they only mean white women still and like i guess i'm seen as like an outlier in a way i'm very interested in, in like the in like the formation of women as like or, or white women as like a voting block as like a political group as like a, a group with their own like interests and how those interests are served or not served you know, in all of these different ways, whether it be through activism or through voting or through holding political office. Again, a side note, holding political office is something that Ida B. Wells, again, like, strode to do in yeah. her, like, lifetime. Something else that you said that, that really stuck out to me in uh -huh. terms of that, like, the political identity stuff, I think it's really interesting to me as a black man because, I honest, one, I honestly don't know what, like, the black man's political identity, like, in terms of, like, an offshoot of that. I feel like a lot of times we have to kind of... Like we, a, a lot of our, like obviously ours is tied, like in terms of yeah, black Yeah, I feel like you guys woman. are, I feel like when people think of, I feel like when people think of women, they think of white women. I mean, yeah. we've, this has been said before by many other people. People think of black people, they think of black men. Correct. But in terms of how we wield our political power, it's it's kind of, it, it's interesting. that Like we, we obviously are, are much more, we have much more representation in terms of legislator. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how. Uh, Wait, in much more representation. Representation in, in terms in, of like actual public office. No, but in terms of like more representation than who? Oh, sorry, than black, black women. women. Yeah. Than black women specifically. But in terms of the actual work that's being done to, uh, to a lot of times advance our causes are is primarily done by, by black, black women. women. Um, which I think is an interesting, is kind of an interesting disconnect. But also is reflected in Ida B. Wells's yeah, legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, lynching is something that disproportionately affected black men. Yeah. And she was on the front lines for that. Yeah. And in terms of bringing light to that and actually advancing that and then her not necessarily being recognized for those efforts, yeah. I feel like that's something that, I mean, as you mentioned, happens relatively frequently. Yeah, we know this. But I still come back and I wonder, like, and so if you look at, the I think we talked about like the hierarchy, almost like a hierarchy of needs in terms of how people who aren't white men get political power. Mm -hmm. So if you look at like the right to vote, obviously it was, you know, it was black men 
and then white, white women. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at even like the presidency, I knew you were going to say, yeah, assuming the presidency, yeah. <laughs> assuming the presidency, it looks like it, it I mean, you it's know, all things hard. being equal, it seems like it's going to happen the exact same way. Yeah. But if you look at also like, equal pay. I mean, that's something that, that definitely affects, it definitely affects women, but it also affects minorities as well. Like, so incorporating men into that context as well. Uh-huh. Like, how we will actually approach gaining equality uh, in pay and in work. So, what I'm trying to say is like, I'm curious as to, with the work that's being done, uh-huh. how will the actual rules change in favor of whom and first, and who oh, gets it first? Yeah, and who gets it first? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, especially within the equal pay movement, like you said, I think there is a lot of um, there's a lot of attention being paid to white women, but yeah. a lot of the actual effects, you know, if there were equal pay legislation, would probably affect women of color more, even though they aren't necessarily the we're not the people in mind we're not the people in mind why do you think they would affect us why do you think they would affect us more just because a lot of times we are in terms if you think about the size of women who are in the workplace at certain levels mm. um so i think sorry so this is one of the places kind of ladders up with the, like with my work with my job yeah and i've read research that talks about this but there's an overwhelming amount of black women who make either at or under minimum wage uh-huh. and who are also like single in the workforce so they're very much affected by like if we if we raise a minimum wage that oh. would change the life of a lot of, of women of yeah. color but also if they were equal pay that would also change the dynamics of how women make money in the country as well yeah so if you look at like if we think we talk about equal pay more often than not we're thinking about almost like executive pay yeah, yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah, a lot of people think about executive pay like, oh, I'm, you know, I am a manager. I should be paid as much as this this other manager who is a man, who's probably a white man. Yeah, but realistically, it's the the effects lower down on the pipeline that yeah. have the most amount of people. Yeah, and so that's why I say the effects would actually be felt probably a lot the, more. Yeah, for people of color and women of color, like down the line, as opposed to. Um, like these professional high- white women. Exactly. But just, just because of the, the size of the different groups. Interesting. But that said, it's still white women who are mostly kind of in front yeah. of this charge and how they actually lead it. Yeah, like Sheryl Sandberg comes to mind. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, definitely. Like lean in. Like if you think about that, that's I mean, that's all about how women amass more power and ultimately like get in yeah. like get in uh get equal like uh Compensation? Not necessarily the compensation, but equal respect even in the workplace. Yeah, and I guess the unspoken part of that is leading to compensation and representation in, in in like higher levels of management. Exactly. But, you know, lean in doesn't work for everybody. I know. And, you know, there's been a lot of sustained criticism that, you know, somewhat hypocritical that this woman who, you know, has access to a ridiculous amount of resources has, has a, like, has a almost like a daycare center in her office, or yeah. has a, you know, a nanny in her office so she can go to work and bring this person. Of course, it's it's her ability to be able to lean into our workplace and like just work harder and focus more on on like what you're like what you're doing yeah. basically in the workplace, as opposed to someone who doesn't have access to the resources to be able to like commit basically to their to their gig. If that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. So I mean anyway, we we, we took a bit of a journey and walking around. But basically what I'm trying to say is it's really interesting to see how, you know, a lot of time like there's always been this kind of game we've played where white women a lot of times think there is inclusion. Yeah. And the immediate distribution of resources doesn't look like it's going to be what they would prefer. Yeah. Those, like... <laughs> strong left. This yeah. Is strong left. Those allegiances then strongly diverge and then separate and often leaving out black women in the, like, in it, the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we, I think, to bring it back, yes. to bring it full circle, if we, you know, do look at the... uh contributions of someone like Ida B. Wells. Yeah. You know, and we recognize that we need to not erase but elevate yeah. the women who are doing, you know, the work the in work. terms of uh in terms of advancing our people to the place in which, you know, we should be. Yeah. Um things will get a little better. Yeah. 
Well, you know what I say? I'd be Wells. I, I think I pointed out to you this morning that there's no no black women has a national holiday. Yeah. Here. I don't even think any white women yeah. have national holidays here either. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> black women. And I think that Ida B. Wells is more deserving of a national holiday than than anybody that is like like uh, I think she's as deserving of it as you can possibly be. Yeah, even if you look at like the uh, there's a lot of conversation around putting a woman on the twenty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Like she would be an amazing contribution, and people some people have suggested it. I would love it if every single time people talk about like oh blah 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 like you know because you know there's lots of reasons there's lots of reasons why people have problems with currency in the United States mm-hmm. by, by black people or people of color or yeah. you know whatever. Woke folks have problems. But I'm going to tell you something right now. At the end of the day, $20 bill is, is like is, is what comes out of the ATM. Yeah. And if every time a motherfucker had to look at a, do- a $20 bill and saw Ida B. Wells' face, <laughs> as opposed to one of these fucking slave owners over here, put Ida on the currency. I'm cool with it. Yeah. I'm ready for it. You need to change it up. Yeah, so national holiday, put her on the court. At least have a unit on her in school or something like that. Yeah. Teach, like, I went to Howard and... We didn't really talk about it that much, truth be told. Yeah, I mean, same. I, I honestly, the until I started reading more about her biography recently, and as at, like at your prodding mm-hmm. to, be, to be straight up, like I honestly didn't know much about her at all. And I honestly, it was frankly, I was looking at myself like, damn, what the fuck? Like I'm, I'm a very proud Memphian, mm-hmm. and you know, like she played an extremely significant role to the history of Memphis. I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's some conversations need to be had. It's some conversations need to be had. So I am, I am in favor of like whatever we gotta do to get this woman to be the center of some type of conversation, like whether it be like you know whether we I gotta become the Stevie Wonder of the group, <laughs> and you know start lobbying for a national holiday, whatever. I don't care. I just think this woman is so she's a true American hero. Yes, and shit, all the shit that all the shit that respectable people care about: having education, being married, having kids. Um, covering truth and justice, taking mm. care of family, mm. bootstrapping. Mm. She did all that shit. Yeah. And she also didn't give a fuck about any of y'all's respectability bullshit. So I think, you know, we let her have a day. That. Yeah. One day. Sh- <laughs> shit, yeah. We, I mean, we need more We need more holidays in general. We need more holidays in general. Everybody, shit, I could use a day off. Yeah, right. I love my job, and I'm still like, <laughs> I just, tomorrow, coming yeah. to work tomorrow, I'm still like. I could take a day. I could take another day. <laughs> So, you know what? Or maybe actually, well, you know, I'm crazy. So I'm like, it would be really fun to have a holiday where only black people took off. I'd be well, Yo. I'd be well's day. <laughs> All white people got to work and their pay gets withheld. That would be. And I get holiday pay and I don't have to go. Shit. That's, that's a, reparations. That's, <laughs> that's some reparations. So it's a lot that could be said about that. It's a lot could be said about this. So yeah. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for listening and yeah. like read up on. I, I'd say read any of her books. Like 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 I said, it's not like we're not complaining when we say that we have to seek information about this woman out. It's a joy to, but we shouldn't have to, and yeah. you shouldn't have to. So read up on her. Um, I mean, read a few of the articles if you can't read her biography and share it with somebody. Yeah, share yeah. It with somebody. Get to talking about it and, and like yeah. Thank you, thank you, Ida B. Wells, for everything that you've done. Thank you for being a window for us into the Reconstruction period. Yes. And, yes. um, you know, happy Black History Month, everybody. You know, give a round of applause to uh, to an American hero such as Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells. All right. Bye. Bye. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.